0: Of failure. The system of failure, system failure. Safest thing is to stay here. Wait for morning, wait for these others to see if they ever show up. Wait for the brave folks on the raft to bring help. But me, I'm tired of waiting.
1: Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 201, entitled Man of Science, Man of Faith. This is the 25th episode of Lost, and there are 96 to go. First, I'd like to share some feedback. Uh, On iTunes, Candy Lies said, awesome, five stars. This is a great podcast, she said. It helps fill up the void nicely. Thanks, Matt, for taking the time to do the show, she says, and adds, Whenever I check the LPN, it makes my day to see Looking Back at Lost at the top of the list. So thank you very much, uh, Candy Lies, uh, and indeed, uh, part of the reason why the podcast is now moved to Mondays is uh, to help—well, uh, to help get a little bit more exposure on the uh, on the Lost Podcasting Network. And if you are a fan, and if you are getting uh, looking back at Lost through the Lost Lost Podcasting Network, uh, you can always sign up for my feed on iTunes uh, as well, if if uh, if you want to use that option to you. Uh, moving on, I also got an email from Barry who had uh, checked in a while ago, and Barry said, Keep up the good work. I thoroughly enjoy my weekly fix of Looking Back with You. So thank you very much, Barry, for taking the time yet again to email me. Uh, and then on Twitter, uh, Sci Fi Horror Femme said, Looking forward to this episode as always, Matt. Looking Back at Lost has become one of my favorite podcasts. So that certainly is very, very nice to hear, uh, Sci Fi Horror Femme. Uh, she actually was nice enough to email me. Um, uh, a couple, not a couple, uh, a long list of the podcasts that she listens to. And uh, I'm still making my way through that list to, to see what suits me. But um, certainly a couple have jumped out. So thank you very much, Sci-Fi Horror Femme. And last but not least, of course, uh, what would feedback be without uh, some thoughts from Bonnie, who sent in an email uh, and said the following. Uh, and she was uh, referring to uh, a couple episodes ago uh, where, uh, well, where once again we were dealing with uh, Kate, Being a troublemaker. Bonnie said this, I have an observation on what ultimately makes Kate a difficult female lead. Like her or not, Anna Lucia is a character that is recognizable and is portrayed in a manner that rings true. I've known girls like her. I've had the crap beat out of me in middle school by girls like her. Bonnie goes on to say, uh, while I have known girls with backgrounds such as Kate's, they do not generally date boys who go, out, uh, who go on to become doctors, marry police officers, and have adventures in the Australian outback while outrunning and outgunning a U.S. marshal. The sorry truth of their lot is that even if they escape from a neglectful and abusive childhood, they still tend to dwell in a predictable hell of their own making. And uh, when I responded to Bonnie, I mean, I certainly, I, you know, I think I agreed with uh, a lot of what she said, um, I mean, indeed, I think that she's hit the nail on the head when it comes to Kate. Many of the other characters on the show, and indeed people in real life, they struggle, uh, attempt, and succeed at overcoming their demons, but Kate, Kate keeps falling back into the same old trap. You know, you have Sawyer, He's, he really isn't happy with the cycle of violence, but feels pulled towards helping others. Hurley would trade his money for love and respect. Charlie yearns to be a pseudo-father-slash-husband while struggling with his addiction. Kate, you know, Kate is just in this blind cycle of selfishness and use of others. She uses her relationship with bank robber guy to get that stupid, stupid toy plane. She uses Tom to get to see her mother, et cetera, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I mean, I, and I further agree with Bonnie that um, in another world, you know, one without the mystical moving island uh, protected by ageless wonders... Kate, you know, absolutely would settle into the sort of trashy uh, existence that, uh, that uh, Bonnie is hitting on. Um, you know, just Kate's one of these people that in real life would have this mentality of, uh, you know, they deserve a vacation in the Bahamas, you know, and sure, you need to pay that overdue light bill, but that'll get sorted out, but, you know, you really need to relax, you know. So, grr to Kate. A lot of uh, Kate venom here. So with that, let's now properly move on to this episode, and we have the Wikipedia summary read by Dan.
0: Episode 201, Man of Science, Man of Faith. The episode starts abruptly. A man wakes up from his bunk bed and immediately presses a few keys on a late 1970s-era computer. He then gets dressed and begins his day as the camera moves about the surrounding rooms, which contain an assortment of objects from the 1960s to the present. He puts on some music, begins an exercise routine, has a shower, makes himself some breakfast, and injects himself with a vaccine. He is interrupted by an explosion, spurring the man to arm himself before using a telescope and mirror system. His gaze reveals the faces of Jack and Locke standing around the hatch shaft which has just been opened. In flashbacks, Jack encounters his future wife, Sarah, who has arrived in his emergency room after a car crash. Jack saves Sarah's life, but goes on to tell her that due to spinal cord injury it is unlikely that Sarah will regain the ability to walk. After being chastised by his father about his pessimistic bedside manner, Jack operates on Sarah and goes running a tour de Stade. While running he falls and meets another runner named Desmond who tells him that he is training for a race around the world. Jack shares with Desmond how he failed Sarah and Desmond advises him about his need to feel and provide more hope. When Jack returns to Sarah's room, He discovers that she has experienced a miraculous recovery. On the Island At the hatch entry, Jack says that they should wait for the sun to come up. Locke, on the other hand, feels that their entry should not be delayed. At the same time, at the caves, Shannon and Saeed search for Walt's dog, Vincent. During the search, Shannon has a vision of Walt, tripping wet and speaking incoherently. She talks about this with the rest of the survivors, but no one believes her. Upon reaching the caves, Jack explains the situation to the survivors promising them that they will be alright as long as they stay together. Locke then appears, carrying Cable, and saying that he's going into the hatch. Soon after, Kate follows behind him. While Locke is easing her down the shaft, Kate realizes there is something in the hatch, and mysteriously disappears during a sudden burst of light from within the hatch. Back at the caves, Jack decides that he's going after Kate and Locke. Upon reaching the hatch, he finds no one there and rappels down the shaft on his own. While exploring, he comes across a painted mural and a wall where the key hanging around his neck is pulled by a strong magnetic force. Finally, after being surprised by bright light and loud music, he enters an underground geodesic dome with computer equipment, including an Apple II computer with his prompt glowing. As Jack is about to use it, Locke appears and tells Jack not to touch it. After Jack raises the gun and asks where Kate is, Locke is revealed to be at gunpoint. The gunman threatens that he will shoot Locke if Jack does not surrender. Jack refuses, instead taunting Locke about his destiny the episode ends with a gunman stepping out jack recognizes him as desmond
1: and thank you very much dan for uh, reading that he actually sent it in uh, almost a month before i'm recording this episode probably in the neighborhood of uh, 6 weeks before you dear listeners are hearing it so uh, thank you very much uh, dan for your your continued interest and of course anybody who's uh, anybody else who's out there that's interested in the uh, recording uh one of these episode summaries you can always send me an email uh at looking back at lost at gmail.com and of course there's the new um there's the new voicemail line which uh if you don't have the technology at home to uh to do a recording uh, or even if you don't have uh, a smartphone like dan uh you can just call it into the uh to the call line and of course any feedback you can call into the call line which uh the phone number is 732-707-1815 anyhow enough uh Plugging how to get in touch with me. And let's now finally move into my thoughts about the episode now that we're coming up on eight and a half minutes into the podcast. The episode opens with kind of an odd pause after the previously unlost, unlost segment. Uh, then we hear um, that mysterious beep. Of course, it's a lot less mysterious since we know what's going on now after the fact. We know that it's the, the timer in its final, uh, oh, is it final five minutes, final two minutes, but it's the timer counting down uh desmond who is hidden from view we don't we don't recognize him he wakes up he enters the numbers which again we upon first viewing don't know that and then the timer is reset another thing that we don't know you know it's also darn mysterious the first time you see it um now it's kind of a slight titillation to it you know there he is putting the numbers in um but it, it is you know it is just a a little less uh mysterious or a lot less mysterious because we because we know the drill now. Uh, moving on. Um, Desmond then starts the record and resumes his normal day inside his normal-looking 1970s futurist uh, home. Um, indeed, I mean, you really start to get the sense that this is the 1970s. Especially since the show does trade in flashbacks. Um, you just, you know, certainly you're meant to feel uh, disconnected from the, the overall narrative. You know, we just... We just left. Whether it's uh, you know because you're watching this on DVD or streaming or whatever, and you've just watched the last episode, or even with the summer gone, uh, you know, even if if you've watched it, you know, back in 2005, and you've had this break o- over the summer, still the narrative, boom, the hatch is blown open. They look down the hatch. My oh my, what a mystery! We've been reminded of that and looking back at Lost, and now there's this. We don't know where we are. We don't know when we are, which is part of the genius of of how they're. Uh, of how they set up the beginning of this episode. But anyhow, um, there's a brief shot of Desmond doing sit-ups. Uh, careful viewers, of course, will notice the oddly newer-looking washer and dryer. Uh, this was something that, that um, well, clearly was intentional. I think that you know it's meant to speak to these uh, occasional drops that, that, that happen in the episode where new, new stuff, new supplies are sent. Uh, and indeed, for those of you who've seen the DVD-only epilogue, uh, the new man in charge, we see that, um, once Hurley becomes the island's protector. So kind of at a point after Jack's death, but before the flash sideways, um, we see that there's two guys who are still laboring away, uh, day after day, sending these automated, you know, kind of filling the pallets to do the automated, uh, drops, uh, over the island, uh, for the, the Dharma stations here. So, um, Well, that explains where the new washer and dryer come from. But if you put yourself back in the shoes of of uh, watching this for the first time, if you're being a careful viewer, you're saying, you know, okay, 70s music and kind of jumpsuit kind of outfits and uh, and 70s futurist kind of vibe here. But, you know, strange washer and dryer. So anyhow, I mean, obviously, it's it's not a mystery that's going to last for long. Uh, in terms of when are we, because it's in a couple of minutes, in maybe 30 seconds after you see the washer and dryer, which I'm making quite a big point about, uh, you know, is when you find that you're still on the island. But anyhow, so Desmond continues with his uh, morning routine, making some sort of breakfast shake. It then starts to turn a bit strange when he injects something into his arm. Um, careful pausing will, of course, note that the stuff is labeled CR 481516 three. Space four two, so they're they're obviously having a little bit of fun with the numbers there. Um, anyhow, at that point in the episode, an explosion rocks everything, and Giacchino's music just takes over. Uh, as as Pete said in the interview podcast uh, uh, a few episodes ago, you know, oftentimes in the script uh, there'd be the notation, you know, and Giacchino just plays the scene or, or something like that, and here we have him doing that yet again. Um, Desmond starts to adjust the mirror viewer so he can see up the hatch and there's a really nicely well done job of as you start to see the different mirrors coming into focus or as the camera is passing by them they they appear to have composited in which is they kind of use the computer to put something that isn't there they've composited in little blurry views up the hatch so if you're looking carefully or if you pause it's not a clear picture of Locke and Jack looking down but there is kind of a picture of sorts, an image of sorts, where if you if if that's the last thing that you have in your head from from Lost, from you know at the end of season one, it it's there, and you know it's a nice little touch. the uh, The computer generated shot up the hatch. It's it's okay. It's not bad, but it's also not making us say you know, hey, they built this thing for real, um, which is kind of odd because they would then go on to build part of it for real, and that they're going to drop Kate down. I mean, it might not be, um, like I know towards the end of season six, uh, what Desmond is down the well, right? I know that there was some kind of strange wacky do sort of set that they built outside, which essentially was, you know, like a 20 foot tube. And the bottom of the tube is on, you know, a parking lot or whatever. And there's a little door. So Desmond can kind of get in there. It's like, you know, it's a door that leads to like a small kiddie pool that they've made to look like rock. So, you know, they open the door and, and, uh, uh, you know, the actor can sit down and they fill it with water and then, you know, on the top end of this little rig thing, you know, maybe you, you put a couple actors or you put the camera to look down that well. Um, why they didn't do that here, I'm not quite sure. I mean, it would be, it definitely would have been kind of cool. Uh, I can't imagine it would have been that expensive. I mean, I don't know much about building sets, but if you just say, well, you know, build a 20 foot plywood frame and then kind of, you know, paper mache the inside, um, and paint it the color of concrete. Um, I don't know. It just wouldn't be really cool to have this shot where you're at the bottom. And then the camera really, really comes up. And it really, you know. But whatever. They didn't for whatever reason. So no, no sense complaining about it. But anyhow. So we're going up this uh, this shot of the hatch. And at the top, the big shop, shocker to open season two is that it's Locke and Jack just as we left them last season. You know, that in, in, in the last two minutes or so of episode to open season two that, you know, we, we, we've been where we've been all along, right? Um, and I love the little acting moment, too. Locke staring curiously down the hatch, and Jack wipes sweat from his brow. Um, you know, it's kind of, there's no dialogue there. I don't think they're meant to have dialogue, because it's just returning to this moment of shock that we left them with. But So it's just kind of like, all right, guys, do something. And, you know, it's Locke looking, and Jack saying, oh, holy jamoli, but just with his acting. And, I mean, indeed, it's Locke who's ready to move forward, right? He's looking down the hatch. And it's Jack who's scared at what has just happened in the past. So, Um, after the lost title card, there is, of course, talky debate about what to do. Jack wants to get everyone back to the caves. uh, In part, it seems because he wants to remind the audience about the threat that the others poses. Uh, And, and of course, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but there's lots of moments in this episode where it's, you know, where... It's now time to sit and talk a while. It's now time to sit and remind people about stuff. Um, I mean, and indeed, I mean, Jack kind of talking about, hey, the others are going to come. We have to, the, you know, this, we can't hide people down there. We came to see if we could. We need to get back to the caves because the others are coming because they're bad guys. Um, fair enough. I mean, that's something that we might not have thought about in four months, the four months between the May finale and the September premiere. But, you know, as I said, it it's a bit talky. Uh, Locke seems resistant. You can almost see the wheels in his head turning, though. And, uh, you know, indeed, there's no sense in fighting the battle at that moment um, to to get the airplane cable to climb down the hatch since it's back in the caves anyway. So you can just kind of see Locke thinking about it and he kind of acquiesces and says, yes, let's go back to the caves. Uh, Locke asks Jack why he doesn't want to go down the hole. And that somehow is an excuse to go to the first flashback. Flashback is Jack in the ER and uh, it's one of, one of the first appearances of the truly awful wigs that the show was stuck with for some reason. Uh, I I don't know why the show has these awful wigs. I mean, I'm sure that there's, uh, there, there were and are fine people in Hawaii who could make um, TV and movie quality wigs that could uh, hold up to, uh, well, I was going to say to HD, but it's not like this is some, you know, the wigs are bad, the beards are bad, but I don't know and if there isn't somebody in Hawaii I'm sure you could fly out some hair and makeup person from Los Angeles but anyhow whatever we're, we're stuck there with uh, lousy wigs Jack saves the day with the car crash victim uh which of course is his future wife although we might not know it upon first viewing um because as I'll talk about in a bit I mean her the makeup that they put her in doesn't make her super recognizable it, to my eyes but anyhow um there is, of course, the irony of the guy who hit Sarah, the future wife, um, being brought into the same ER room as well. Um, and as Jack is stabilizing Sarah, we hear off scene that the man is dying uh, and then indeed is declared dead at, wait for it, 8.15 a.m. Haha. I guess that's amusing. Anyhow, uh, there's a close up of Sarah. And as I said, she's honestly so beat up. That it's difficult to tell that it's her, um, which is an odd choice. Uh, now I suppose it's okay in this scene, but we're going to talk about the the makeup put on her, the kind of you know the the effects makeup, the the you know post car crash makeup. We'll talk about that in future scenes. But anyhow, we're certainly meant to kind of get the vibe that it's Sarah anyway, especially with Jack mentioning that uh, dancing at her wedding and then just kind of walks off with no connection of her. It's kind of this lost moment of, you know, hey, dancing at the wedding, and look, he didn't n- know her at all, so this must be how he meets the wife. Um, then there's the added irony, of course, that it's Shannon's father, uh, Boone's stepfather, who dies in the same room, although there's no, there's absolutely no indication of that made uh, at, at this point in the episode, or, or in this episode at all, I should say, but still we have that little delicious moment waiting for us. Um, back on the island, it seems that they're unaware of the need to bring, uh, uh, pardon me, it seems that they are still aware, very aware, of the need to bring new viewers up to speed, uh, or at the very least remind old viewers what has been going on, as you'll hear in this clip.
0: Why'd you light the fuse, man? Why wouldn't I light the fuse? Uh, maybe because I was running towards you, waving my arms, yelling, don't do that? You
1: got a point there. I mean, as you can see, there's not a lot of um, real reason to have that. I mean, you know, in real life, yeah, you'd say, hey, why did you do that thing I told you not to do five minutes ago? But, you know, this isn't real life. This is constructed television drama where they rarely refer back to such things. Um, And indeed, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, it's just there so so that we can have a little recap so that, you know... Now, I, I believe I'm correct in saying, too, that this is the most watched episode of Lost. Um, and, you know, that's coming off all the buzz from season one, season one on DVD, season one winning the the Emmy for Best Drama. Um, so they're probably aware of that. They're aware that they have this great buzz. They're aware that, you know, people have been discussing the finale, the season one finale for a couple months. They're aware of all this. This is... You know, I mean, there's a lot in TV that's that's paying the bills or doing what you need to do. It's you know that there's this is an art and a business, and sometimes you need to address the business end, and sometimes you're able to address the art end. So all this, all this recap in this episode that's a that's a business thing. But anyhow, let's move on. Uh, Back in because we're you know like in the forest right with Hurley and, uh, and Locke at the hatch. Back in the caves, however, they appear to be doing the same thing in terms of recap. Uh, down to Shannon caring for Vincent. Um, Again, that's what it appears to be. But it's actually a setup for, for the makings of the very spooky season two and some of the spookiest stuff from it. Obviously, some uh, some spooky stuff. Indeed, there it's the appearance of uh, kind of ghost Walt or projected Walt or um, well, I mean, what, what kind of? It appears to be Walt uh, certainly, and that's um, well, that plus kind of uh, preceded by some some whispering. I don't know that it that is that it is the whispers, although I suppose it might be. Um, but anyhow, let's let's talk about that scene, seeing the spooky drippy Walt. Uh, starts one of the great questions of the show, in my mind: Are these some sort of psychic projections of Walt? Um, that certainly was the assumption at the time. After all, Walt is special. We've been told how special he is. However, I'm betting that it, it, you know, what we're actually seeing is our old friend, the smoke monster. After all, he will appear as Kate's horse. He'll appear as Yemi, Echo's older brother, or. Older brother, younger brother, anyhow, Echo's brother. He'll appear as Alex at some points. He'll appear as Locke. Uh, and if the smoke monster is out to manipulate and tug at the corners of this tapestry of good and evil, who better than Shannon? She is, after all, understandably tender at the death of her brother. Uh, couldn't she be uh, manipulated easily? I mean, just as Said is in season six. Um, and, again, that's not even a Shannon bash. I mean, I think that it, it, might, it might be delicious to say, oh, well, of course, you know, Shannon's the one that they're going to go for because she's this, you know, kind of stupid bimbo. But, you know, I mean, it, if you treat the character as a real person, she has so much going on that, uh, sure, she's going to be, um, oh, I suppose, kind of predisposed for, uh, for some kind of um, manipulation, simple as that. So I'm going with these appearances of Walt. It's uh, it's it's the smoke monster doing what he does best, manipulation. Um, I mean, add to that. I don't think there's ever any time that Walt says, you know, hey, I was thinking about you really hard, there, Shannon. After I, after I was, uh, I, you know, after I was taken away, I was thinking so much of you. I mean, further, let's not forget uh, when Walt was taken away, right? When Walt was taken away by the others, he did not end up in the water. They grabbed him. There's that shot at the end of season one where he's on the boat and the boat's going away. Um, we didn't see Walt get wet. I think that we're kind of meant to misremember that slightly. Now, if you're the Smoke Monster who doesn't know what happened to Walt, let's say, but you're you know doing your little scans of people's minds and whatever, and you know that Walt has gone out on the raft. Well, what would a really scary way be to you know, scary way to be? What would a scary you know? To somebody who's headed out on a raft, let's put it like that as I stumble over my words here. Somebody who's gone out on a raft and you don't know what their fate is. If they suddenly appear to you uh, disheveled and soaking wet, I mean, you'd assume that something went wrong with the raft. So, anyhow, it, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm going with the smoke monster. That's the bottom line there. Um, At this point now, we are one third of the way through the episode. Um. Not the podcast, mind you, the actual, uh, the actual, the actual episode. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a chore watching it, in my opinion, at this one-third mark. There's more exposition, essentially rehashing the last season. Hurley was in a psych ward, got the numbers from Leonard, and played the numbers, won the lotto, $120 million, grandpa died, house burned. They do have some new information in, in Hurley's information here. Uh, the chicken place he worked at was hit by a meteor. But, you know, it's still kind of tiresome. I love season two. Don't get me wrong. I love Dharma. I absolutely love Desmond as my number one character for the whole series. Uh, I love the Desmond P- Penny love story. I love it all. But it's just not here. It's not at. It's not in this episode uh, by and large. And certainly not in this first third of the episode. The irony being, uh, here we are at, what, 26 minutes and about 25 seconds. Uh, and we're... You know, now discussing the first 15 minutes of an episode. But anyhow, um, we're just seeing so much rehash about the others coming to us, you know, to eat us. Ha 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 is the joke, you know, but et cetera, et cetera. You know, heck, the hurly verbal recap ends with him telling Jack that Jack's bedside manner sucks, which would be funny, but it actually was just setting up the return to the Dr. Jack flashback. So, er. Um, anyhow, let me... Moving on here, uh, I really find it interesting that Sarah in the flashbacks doesn't shout out as recognizable. We're now at a point in the story where she is, um, she's there, not not fully healed, of course, but um, where she's now, you know, it's not blood caked on her and grease from the car and this sort of thing. She's kind of you know bandaged up and stitched up and whatever. She's just not recognizable. We're beyond the scene, of course, where she's covered in all those bits of gore and whatnot, she just doesn't have a recognizable face for some reason. And this is coming from me, someone who saw her in a flashback episode in the last four to six weeks, right? Because I'm watching these episodes for the podcast and all that. It's not the months and months and months that would have gone by when the show originally aired. So, I don't know. Don't know what to tell you. Um, there is, however, an interesting bit between the Doctor's Shepherd. Let's hear it you might wanna try handing out some hope every once in a while. Even if there's a 99% probability
0: that they're utterly hopelessly screwed, folks are much more inclined to hear that 1% chance that things are gonna be okay. Her spine's crushed. I tell her that everything's gonna be okay. That's false,
1: hope, Dad. Maybe, maybe, but it's still hope. Not only is it obviously a good comment on Jack in the past as well as on the island, um, but it's interesting that this information about hope comes from Christian. I think that I underestimated the show's naming of him as Christian Shepherd. Uh, as of course noted in uh, in the finale, it's slightly over the top, given that some are inclined to follow the Christian Shepherd uh, in life. Uh, and I'm not exactly arguing that Dr. Chris, Christian Shepherd is a Christ figure. In the show, um, of course, you know, boozing, philandering uh, isn't exactly doctrine. But it is interesting that, uh, you know, it's where he ends up at the end of the end, uh, sticking out his hand and saying, follow me, my son. Um, so just, I I mean, again, I, I don't have a complete thought there, just that uh, there are times when Dr. Christian Shepard uh, is, uh, uh, is someone to follow, we'll put it like that. Um, anyhow, the scene where the dynamite crew returns to the caves, uh, is an absolutely masterful one. Uh, the chaos of Shannon having seen Walt is eating up everyone. Then the dynamite, the dynamitees, uh, return and calm everyone. Uh, Jack gives a rousing speech. It's not live together, die alone quality, but it's, it's good. Uh, you can see the calm wash over everyone's face. Uh, Jack promises, literally promises that everything will be okay, and everyone will see sunrise in three hours. Uh, There's just a wonderful reaction shot of of an unimpressed and scared Hurley and an unconvinced Kate. In the back of the scene, though, Locke interrupts by collecting cable, telling Jack that he's going to explore the hatch. Tension returns in the air. Everyone still panicked, can essentially see that Mom and Dad are fighting, that Mom and Dad don't agree on how to keep everyone safe. I doubt it. In fact, you're right. The Safest thing is to stay here, wait for morning,
0: wait for these others to see if they ever show up, wait for the brave folks on the raft to bring help. But me, I'm tired of waiting.
1: Mom and Dad might be fighting, but Locke's answer is basically to grow the hell up and solve your own problems. Don't let Mom and Dad take care of it, which uh, is not a bad message at all. Um, as the scene wraps up, there's a, a half of a reaction shot from Kate, and frankly, it's too short, uh, and it should have been edited a second longer. She kind of smirks at Jack. You know, she's just heard this this speech too that you just heard from uh, from Locke, and this, this smirk at Jack is kind of half of a you know an, an f u half of a hey he told you, um and I mean frankly, even as a Kate hater, right? You heard the conversation between bonnie and i uh, via email at the at, at the beginning of the podcast here but so even as a kate hater i love that she follows Locke to the hatch yes she's always on the run but another way to state that, she, that is that she's always looking for another option where one does not logically exist right that she goes to the hatch which is a barely viable option it's in line with her character to keep on searching and keep on fighting so a moment of kate love there Back to the flashback. There's a particularly paint-by-numbers scene, no, no pun intended, um, with Sarah's first fiance, who is incredulous at the thought of needing professional care. uh, Pardon me, of needing professional care for Sarah for the rest of her life. Makes me think that Sarah might marry one, you know, some other guy one day, right? I mean, wink, wink. Um, Then the scene shifts to the OR, which, hey, by the way, it's the same OR where Christian kills the pregnant lady when he's drunk. Um, makes me think that they're reusing another filming location reusing the same filming location. Um, but of course, there's the bonus that there's just this lovely, lovely story symmetry that Jack saves a woman uh, where his father ends one. Um, the scene also is spectacular, spectacular in HD. Jack's tight close up just looks great on uh, on TV uh, and his affirmation of I'm going to fix you' Uh, It's just a shock to those in the OR. Backbone Jack is born here, and it's just absolutely wonderful. Back to the on-island stuff. Uh, As Locke lowers Kate into the hatch, a technical note. I've worked at a rock wall before, and they use two two pulleys as part of the belay process, and so does Locke. So good job, buddy. He has uh, the airplane cable going around two trees, which serve to control and slow the climber. So that's absolutely fantastic. And of course I'm sure nothing will go wrong with that. And then it does, the trees break and Kate suddenly falls. lock starts to lower her again As she's being lowered there's just a brilliant brilliant choice to have us see rocks in that last mirror the ones on the very bottom and if you turn your head to the right right to so you turn your head to the right the rocks look like a snarling angry scary face it is a creepy moment i really hope that that was on purpose because you know to just kind of create some sort of paper mache rock head really fast It just you know appears to have eyes nose and mouth something as simple as that and to position it just right i mean it is the show hasn't been known up to this point the show really hasn't been known as being particularly scary yeah some kind of spooks and some thrills but most of it's been kind of mystery and the you know what you don't see with this i mean this is a creepy scene she's being lowered down i mean we know there's somebody down there but you kind of half forget it in this moment of of I mean, this is the stuff of nightmares, right? You're slowly being lowered. There's not really any way up, right? Locke's hands are cut. He can lower her down. He's not really going to pull pull her up, even at her at her low weight. You know, it, it, it's only the only way is is but down, and then to kind of sub, subliminally, if you don't look for it, or or you know, uh, literally, if you do see the face, it's just scary. And then the, the thought that there's someone down there, and, and you know, at this point, you certainly don't know. Desmond's intention at all, um, and indeed, as uh, you know, to refer back to Pete, who I did the interview with uh, a, a couple of episodes ago. I mean, he was uh, he was saying um, not during the interview, but he was saying how he was convinced that Desmond was evil, that it was Pandora's box, and he was the evil in it. Uh, and indeed, you know, if you take the S out of uh, Desmond, it's uh, or I guess the D as well. You know, you end up with demon and and, and this sort of thing, but. You certainly don't know his intentions down there, and it's a creepy scene, and it's just, it's absolutely fantastic. And of course, after all that shock, we go to commercial. Uh, We come back after the commercial break. We see Jack telling Hurley that he's leaving the caves. Jack is. Uh, It's a nice bit of irony and perhaps even foreshadowing. Uh, In this crisis, Jack is in charge for a short while and then leaves Hurley in charge. So, there we go. Uh, in the penultimate flashback, we see Jack's tour de stade, where he meets Desmond, uh, though at the time, we really don't know that we're meeting anyone. I mean, maybe you could kind of kind of guess it, right? Mystery guy down there that you barely saw. Um, I mean, maybe you could, maybe you couldn't. I mean, well, let's hear the clip first, and then we'll discuss. Excuse for
0: one like the devil's chasing you. My excuse. I'm training. Training for what? For a race around the world. Impressive, I know. <laughs> so your excuse may be good, brother? Just trying to work a few things out. Uh, a girl, right? A patient. How no, about a girl patient? What's her name? Her name's Sarah. What'd you do to her, then? To her, you must have done something worthy of this self flagellation. I told her I made a promise I couldn't keep. I told her I'd fix her, and I couldn't. Oh, right? Just one thing what if you did fix her?
1: As is so often the case with lost we think we're having a jack conversation right but so much much of it is about desmond doing something over a woman pushing yourself to do this great thing um and i think too that kind of helps um helps with this lie that um you know that that well that this guy that we're meeting at the tour de stade that he's not particularly that important um, it's helping save kind of the the thrill of the the cliffhanger ending. I will mention too, and of course, you know, it's been a while since I've seen uh, season two, and I, I have all of season one in my brain from doing the the podcast and all that. I know at some point Desmond makes reference to doing a, a, a solo boat race around the world, and that uh, you know, back at the time, back in the day, uh, there was it was difficult to hear with his accent whether it was solo boat or solar boat. I don't know if the edit here has changed, or if they revisit this scene um, from another point of view, which they certainly might. Um, But it uh, it, just—I'll just share that—it strikes me as uh, slightly, uh, slightly strange. Uh, I'm certainly not aware of anything having changed from the original broadcast uh, form of this episode. But anyhow, Uh, as we come out of the flashback. Uh, the sound designer times the whoosh to coincide with Jack hitting the bottom of the floor. It's, it, it's a nice touch. I mean, there's not it's not often you say, boy, that sound designer did a great job today, but here you see it. Uh, there is also, of course, uh, that wonderful little hint, um, that seed planted for later seasons, the magnetism pulling at Jack's key, you know, the, the gun case key that he carries around his neck. Um, it's just, it's great. It's something that they wouldn't return to. For quite some time, it was one of these things where you'd say, "Oh, you know, loss doesn't answer these questions." Uh, of course, you look at it now, and you're, you know, you're saying, "Oh, you know, the magnetism that ended with the incident, uh, you know, Juliet's resting place, et cetera, et cetera. All this is going through your mind. Uh, the the magnetism of the island, which we have, you know, that season one already hinted towards. Uh, of course, let's see. There's the Jack, Jack Locke, Jack Saeed. Um, no, I know Saeed. Well, anyhow, there's a discussion, I believe, between Saeed and Jack, you know, shouldn't uh, East be here, but the the thing says it's there, the compass says it's there, but anyhow, here we're finally seeing some true magnetism uh, in the show. Uh, Of lesser importance is the mural. Uh, Back in the day, of course, much stock was placed in the mural, but it's just there as a bit of fun. Uh, Director Jack Bender also is a mural artist, and he knew a bit about what was coming up, so... I think seeing the mural, that's where we really can say, you know, the shows, the shows, kind of, you know, tapping us from behind and having us look around and say, "Who was that?" Um, there's there's times that they're doing that, but anyhow, um, in the final flashback, we see Jack fix Sarah, which is, of course, is predictable. It's meant to be predictable. Um, we know she gets fixed, right? Um, but the emotion is well portrayed. Um, I mean, you you buy into the the moment, even though you it's no shock. Uh, so kudos to them. As a side note, Sarah has ugly feet. Just throw that in there. Uh, and then we're in the final scene, uh, which is just this wonderful this wonderful ending.
0: Jack, it's okay. I said drop it. Where's Kate? It's fine. Just put down. I'm not putting down anything.
1: Do you want him to die? Put it down.
0: what you were talking about, Locke? Is this your destiny? All roads lead here. Jack, calm down. Blow your gun, or I'll blow his damned head off, Brother!
1: Now, I mean, one of the frustrating things about this ending is that uh, I mean, essentially, right? They blow the hatch open at the end of season one. You imagine, hey, they're going to get down the hatch, and then how far do they get down? I mean, yes, you see lots and lots of the hatch, and you get tons and tons of information: Uh, the mural, for whatever it's worth, of course, the magnetism, the computer, the fact that Desmond is in there, the the geodesic dome, the overall look to the place, how how old it must be, et cetera, et cetera. However, I mean, you don't advance that much chronologically. Now, yes, there's time out uh, to lower Kate. There's time to go back to the caves and come back and all that. So, uh, you know, it's not like, say, the next episode, which, uh, at least based on my memory, you know, uh, the next episode, Drift. I mean, that, yes, you see tons and tons of Walt and Michael. Uh, well, not Walt, but you see, you know, the the raft stuff. But in terms of advancing the chronology of the show. I think you end up at the exact same point you just see things from different points of view um which is a bit maddening uh and, and you know we'll talk about it next week but um anyhow i mean it's a, I, to me it's a it, it's a really solid start I, I'd say my only regret would be that it wasn't a two hour uh two hour uh episode to open it um and I mean to me too, this is the season where you're just maddened I mean the first season I think it's 45 days or something like that uh you know that that season one takes place uh over um I think season two is less than that I mean the pace just really slows there's episode after episode where it's just like come on give me more give me more um but it's just it's it's it, it's this is the beginning of the season I've really been waiting for this and and, and I love season five as well but Anyhow, just as a quick side note, I've always thought that Desmond looked different in that scene from the clip, that final scene, like his nose has been broken or the actor is wearing uh, prosthetic makeup. I don't know what it is. I mean, at the time, I thought um, I wasn't even initially sure that it was the same guy. I, w- I I knew that we were meant to think that, but you know, there was a lot of stuff going on back then about uh, you know discussions about twins, and there were the uh allegedly or in fact there were the two twins uh on the boat that takes Walt and there was the lost tie novel bad twin and you know all this stuff um so I wasn't convinced it was the same guy or that there was going to be some sort of uh storyline and in- involving you know, how Desmond got hurt you know that all this was going through my head back then but it's just maybe he's just lit poorly maybe it's just not a, a solid you know basic makeup job you know it's kind of the basic you know cake makeup or whatever it is that they use Uh, I'm sure all the female listeners are aghast uh, you know saying oh what's basic makeup is not called basic makeup or whatever but anyhow Desmond looks different go back and take a look to the final the final scene there it's 42 minutes and a couple of seconds in so that is that Uh, and that of course ends the episode but not the podcast let's now take a look at Lostpedia to see any bits and pieces which I have missed um, Kate can be, Lostpedia says this, Kate can be faintly heard yelling for Jack over the music, uh, as later shown in a uh, which of course is next week's episode. Uh, that's a really nice touch. I mean, it's not any huge surprise. It's not any, um, you know, incredibly uh, mysterious uh, thought to do this, just given that, um, you know, it is the next episode. So it's not like you, you know, let's say you, I don't mean you the listener or, or we the audience, but certainly um the people making it know what's happening in the next episode but it's a nice touch nonetheless and it's i mean you really need to be listening for it but it's there if you're kind of really listening and say what is that uh second of course as i mentioned adam rutherford the driver of the suv who hit sarah's car or is it sarah that hit him but anyhow uh he appears later on in the episode abandoned uh and he of course is shannon's father this is the second Jack-centric episode, says Lostpedia, uh, featuring Sarah, in which a relative of Shannon is killed. In Do No Harm, Boone dies, and in this episode, Adam Rutherford dies in flashback. So there we go. With that, let's now look ahead to next week. Next week is episode 202, Adrift, uh, which well shows the rafties and a bit more of the uh, a bit more of the uh, hash stuff. A reminder, too, that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays now. And uh, if you'd like to share feedback, you're more than welcome. There's a bunch of ways to do it. You can call the voice message line uh, via Google Voice, which is 732-707-1815. And since that is Google Voice, um, it just goes straight to voicemail. So there you go. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back, Lost can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but not least, you can find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you very very much for listening yet again. Uh, it's been great to be uh, back at podcasting. I know for you it's just been uh, a week between episodes. For me, it's been uh, it's been a couple of weeks, so it's great to be back with you all yet again. And I look forward to joining you all next Monday for 202 Adrift. Take care and bye bye. You
0: should go ahead, man. Go unlock, making time with your girl. Joke. Not really in the mood, really. Really? Wow, usually you're like Mr. Ha Ha.